Blog Talk Radio. Good morning, and thank you for joining us for Three Women, Three Ways. We are the show that talks about women's issues and um, women's rights, gender equality, and today we're talking about men. And we talked a little bit about Rob Oaken's book last week, uh, Voice Male, M-A-L-E, The Untold Story of the Pro-Feminist Movement, Men's Movement, and we have Rob with us today. Welcome, Rob. Thanks very much for having me. Glad to be here. You are welcome, and we're glad to have you because uh, I'll be honest with you. Last week, I don't I talked about your book, but I don't think I did it justice. So I'm I'm going to be happy to hear it about it from the the horse's mouth, so to speak. Um, this book, just to reiterate, is a collection of essays that Rob edited, and uh, it is uh, covering everything from raising men, raising boys, to um, uh, sexual assault against uh, men, to um, fathering, um, uh, racial differences in um, you know, black masculinity, for example, but mostly it's about men and feminism and overcoming violence. And it is just an absolute inspiration, I think, for men who are interested in the women's movement and uh, women who are men who are pro-feminist. And I think it's good for women to read as well. Um, Rob, I've told our audience before that um, I come from a long line of females in my family. My father was uh, male, uh, the only boy child in, in a family of eight, and so he had a very uh, feminist outlook on life as I was growing up. Even our dog and our cat were female, and uh, I grow up, and my first baby is a boy, and I thought at the time, what? What do I do with this? Mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't know mm-hmm. anything about boys. Uh, so it's been a, a real education for me to have raised a, a boy into a man, and I imagine that it is for everybody, even if they are used to, to boys uh, being around the house. Rob, what, is, what prompted you to do this? I know you've been spending most of your life working on, or at least the last 20, 25 years, working on uh, publications about uh, pro-feminism and men. Uh, in particular, Voice Mail magazine, uh, which is a wonderful, outstanding piece that you can access online. But what prompted you? Why? Why your interest in in feminism? Well, there's a lot of uh, doorways in which men can walk through to explore ideas about uh, both their understanding of what it means to be a man and their relationship to feminism and the women's movement. I think for those of us who came of age in the 60s or early 70s, that there was both an excitement and a great interest in the social movements that were unfolding from the civil rights movement and the anti-war movement and the environmental movement and the gay rights movement. But central uh, around 1970, the women's movement seemed to be uh, striking out in a new direction. And men, uh, many men who were in their 20s or 30s at that time were both uh, confused, maybe a little bit excited, maybe a little bit jealous, maybe a little bit freaked out, some combination there, uh, there, uh, therein, and started to ask some questions. Some men tuned in, some men uh, tuned out, but some of us started to ask some questions about, well, what was it that women had happening for them that we don't have happening for us? And uh, the question of um, intimate personal relationships, connection, looking at our interior lives, those were all things that as, as boys and men we didn't have uh, a lot of familiarity with, a lot of training in. Basically, the socialization of males and females uh, are very different, and our experience was, you know, just go for it. Just be successful in the outer world, but don't spend a lot of time hanging out with your interior world. And the women's movement, particularly through the uh, um, kind of the, the, the dictum, the motto, the slogan, uh, the personal is political, a light bulb went on for some of us, um, 
some more dimly, some more brightly, that, well, what is it that we could be accessing in terms of our own interior lives that would actually help us to understand both ourselves and what's going on in the greater world, what's going on in our relationships. Um, I know that there's been a lot of uh, conversation um, of women and, and men who came of age in those years looking at how marriages or partnerships or relationships shifted when women started to ask some fundamental questions. Why am I supposed to be the one who's doing the lion's share of the child care, the lion's share of the housework, and the lion's share of the uh, cooking of meals when we're living at a time when, um, you know, you're not incapable of doing any of these things? I'm beginning to, to develop a career. I'm working outside the house. What are the social uh, restrictions that I'm supposed to be feeling that, somehow give you uh, an advantage in life. And the biggest thing for men to have to grapple with right from the get-go was the whole notion of privilege and entitlement, that a lot of us didn't get that just because we arrived on the planet in male-identified bodies didn't and doesn't give us some sort of extra per- privilege, extra permission to have life go our way. And I think that that's probably in terms of where we are today is that there's now uh, a younger generation of men um, more than ever before. We're certainly not where I'd like us to be, but there certainly are more younger men who uh, come of age into adulthood recognizing that to really have an egalitarian relationship means that they're dividing the housework, they're dividing the child care, um, that things have shifted, um, but that's not where we started from. You know, we started from responding to uh, centuries of of women being um, oppressed and having to exist as second class citizens. Well, you have a very positive outlook on the world today. As the mother of two young adults, I'm I see a lot of um, young people, men and women who don't really seem that concerned about um, the roles that gender plays in their lives. Um, so I'm, I'm happy to hear you say that in your experience you're seeing some of this, this movement because, um, you know, quite frankly, I'm not seeing it, and it's made me a little bit concerned. Um, so, you know, I'm glad to hear that. I'm, I'm glad to hear what you are seeing. Uh, you know, it's the kind of thing where on in, in certain communities – there's been a shift. I mean, I think as a society, we're, we're starting to see some real movement. I, I would say on a national level, probably the most extraordinary thing uh, that happened in terms of the whole situation around gender was the statements of the president and the vice president around the sexual assaults that were taking place, that continue to take place on college campuses. Um, you know, th- this this was a time, there, there was a time when you would never hear the word, you know, sexual assault being uttered, you know, by anyone at the level of the president and the vice president. Those are just not words in their vocabulary. And I think uh, the vice president, from his years having shepherded the initial Violence Against Women Act through the Congress, particularly the Senate, and the president identifying himself as the father of two daughters, I think that we, you know, have the potential to continue making this kind of uh, important social shift where issues of of gender equality across the board, whether it's in a a personal relationship that's healthy to, uh, you know, challenging all aspects of, of sexual assault and sexual violence. Um, you know, where where I uh, live in the western part of Massachusetts is in a university town of Amherst, and the university here has launched uh, a campaign. Uh, it's the flagship of the for the state, so it's about 30,000 students 
<clears throat> and faculty and staff in the, on the uh, university campus, and they started something called You Matter, and it's a whole bystander intervention program, complete with uh, billboards on the buses and uh, workshops and educators coming in to basically shift the whole premise that um, if what's true is the majority, the vast majority of men are not violent, are not abusive, either in, in, in domestic violence or in sexual violence, yet that tiny minority of men who do perpetrate those crimes, they take up all the airwaves. They take up all the space. And if the majority of us uh, as men stay silent, if we're on the sidelines, if we are bystanders and not interventionists, then what can uh, women or any conscious man uh, conclude other than that we are somehow tacitly approving of those behaviors? Because we're not challenging right. them. We're not saying this is not acceptable. So I'm encouraged when I see you on a campus, and, and UMass is uh, hardly the only place where this is happening, um, but it's been in the forefront a lot of this work, and, and for some reason, this particular part of uh, Western Massachusetts has been the, the home to a lot of uh, interesting social movements in the last f 50 years. Um, so, well, I'm, let me. Yeah, sure. Yeah, go ahead. No, I was no, just go saying, ahead. So I, I, I approach the, the the work from a place of uh, feeling uh, optimism, cautious optimism. But I see enough happening that's that's positive that that keeps me inspired to you know to get up each day and keep going at it. Great. I'm going to toss out our phone number if you're listening and you'd like to call with a comment or a question. Please give us a call six four six three seven eight zero four three zero. That's six four six three seven eight. 0430. We'd love to have you uh, comment and join our conversation. So, Rob, you're coming from this, this place of uh, cautious optimism, and you decide to put together this book full of essays. I mean, uh, it's, a, it's a very comprehensive book, I think. And why did you decide to do this? Well, thanks for asking about it. So, so the book, which I titled uh, as the same as the magazine Voicemail, as you rightly said, M-A-L-E, Voicemail, the Untold Story of the Pro-Feminist Men's Movement, um, uses some of the uh, articles, essays, first-person accounts, um, some very moving uh, stories of the experiences of men in a range of issues. You name some of them, boys becoming men, men's experience with feminism, fathering, men's health, men as survivors of abuse or neglect, uh, the experiences of men of color, of gay men. Um, and we end the book with a section I called Manhood After Sandy Hook, in which we look at uh, some of the aspects of, of uh, the, the missing component from the, the whole story of mass shooters and uh, the gun violence epidemic. And that's how the media continually seems to miss the fact that in the overwhelming majority of the situations of mass shooters, gender is not part of the conversation inexplicably since 99% or more of the shooters are male. So why did I do this? I came into this work, uh, well, first and foremost in my role as a, as a father, um, that kind of opened my eyes in a way that other experiences with feminism in the 80s, which were really important to me, uh, quite, hadn't quite. And I started writing about uh, my experiences and doing radio commentaries about being a dad and whole, the whole... Do you have daughters, Rob? What? I have, uh, you do, know, do you three, have daughters? Three, da three daughters and a son. Um, wow, okay, good. <laughs> they range from 36 down to 26, the son being the youngest. And at that time, I, <clears throat> I became more and more interested in um, men's roles, both as caretaker and nurturer, and also some of the issues that were 
coming to the fore around um, men's experiences with uh, challenging violence. So I discovered, uh, I, I, I used the baseball analogy that I showed up at like at the bottom of the first inning or the top of the second inning of this men's center in uh, Amherst, Mass., the Men's Resource Center, and quickly became involved in a variety of capacities until eventually um, over the number of years as the associate and then the executive director for several years before I stepped down to work um, more fully on the magazine. But when I showed up there, one of the many things that were going on was putting out a little newsletter. And my first uh, career out of college was as a journalist. I've been a newspaper reporter and over the years have edited or published uh, three or four different publications on a variety of uh, progressive issues. And I recognized right away that there was some potential for the Men's Resource Center to be more of a voice uh, in this movement larger than just being in a particular organization's newsletter. So I started to build the magazine and over time, you know, we added more pages, added a larger print run. So we were printing uh, 10,000 coming out each season, so we're four times a year. And I recognized, uh, oh, I don't know, maybe four or five years ago, that the material in there in those various topics, the male survivors, the men in feminism, overcoming violence, fathering, all of those issues that we had a story to tell. Meanwhile, the whole story of men's involvement in uh, pro-feminist, anti-violence men's work was still inexplicably under the radar. It's mind-blowing to think that people don't know how long this movement has been going on. Let me, um, let me just read you just a, one sentence and... Uh, and, and I'll have you um, maybe guess when the sentence was written. Let me see here. It's in the beginning of the book. Of course, now when I go to look for it, where is it? Um, ah, the struggle for women's liberation is the struggle for men's liberation as whole-feeling persons capable of equal relationships. We say flatly, the women's movement is the best thing that has ever happened for men. Now, when do you think something like that was said? Well, because I think it's probably a trick question. (laughs) (laughs) I'm thinking maybe during the first wave of feminism. Yeah, well, I mean... This this isn't going that far back, but this okay, was right. this this was a statement issued at the fifth national conference on men and masculinity that was held in Los Angeles, December 30, 1978. So, oh, okay. so th- there's been uh, a pro-feminist men's movement going on for quite a long time since the late 70s, and the first. Uh, chapter of the book is a 50-page, uh, this hi- short history of pro-feminism that I uh, wrote that, that features profiles of about 20 organizations around the country and in, in some cases in uh, overseas that are working on a lot of these issues. Um, and I recognize that voicemail as a magazine had been over the sweep of the last couple of decades or more been pretty much telling the story not explicitly as a history but by the experience of those who were writing. So in any given issue, there would be a mix uh, of articles that looked at the violence issue, that might be looking at feminism, that might be looking at men's health or the experience as a boy becoming a man or... um, uh, man of color, so so there's always been a range of of ideas in there. You know, I'm looking at the the fall issue of the magazine, and there's you know just on the cover uh, there's an article about um, 
Private Manning, uh, Ch- Chelsea Manning, the transgender uh, corporal who was, or private, who was uh, accused of leaking the secrets uh, from the NSA's files to uh, um, uh, to uh, Julian Assange and, and WikiLeaks. There's an article called Masculopathy, a New Way to Understand Men. Uh, some psychologists who are looking at some of the experiences, a book on men who were recovering from being abusive, an article of pornography in the left. So every issue we try to take on uh, what's going on with the whole notion of contemporary men and masculinity from a pro-feminist lens. And the book, um, Voicemail, that's um, just out, it just came out at the end of uh, January, beginning of February, um, is an effort to pull together the story through the voices of many, many different writers. There's about 140 pieces, including maybe a dozen or 15 poems, and there's both women's voices and men's voices. Eve Ensler has a piece in here. Uh, Jane Fonda has a piece in here. Um, it's it's very comprehensive, and I'm, and I'm happy that it's out in the world because... Um, I really think it's important for this untold story of the pro-feminist men's movement to get out there for a lot of reasons, but primarily so that uh, younger men and younger women know that there's a history here, that this just isn't women doing all the heavy lifting. We wouldn't exist. The men's movement, the pro-feminist anti-violence men's movement would not exist without the women's movement. We owe a huge debt to women for paving the way. And now that that way has been paved, we're uh, delighted to pick up our tools and to play our part. Mm-hmm. Wonderful. Well, I can't recommend some of these essays enough. I I'm, I kind of uh, was supposed to be doing something else last night, and instead I was caught up reading these. <laughs> so, <laughs> so it's your fault, Rob, okay? It's your fault <laughs> I didn't get everything done. Um, I particularly liked the ones on raising boys, of course, since that's an interest of mine. And uh, it, I'm also particularly interested in learning more about the pro-feminist men's movement in light of so much publicity given to the um, men's rights movement. And if you are uh, at all... Um, uh, internet savvy and you, you Google, for example, domestic violence, fully two-thirds of everything that pops up has to do with men's rights movement. And um, the pro-feminist men is completely the antithesis of the men's rights movement as I see it. How do you, um, you know, are, are, do you um, place yourself within that men's rights movement or, you know, how, how does that fit in with what you're trying sure. to accomplish? Sure, sure. Well, in, in in the most generous characterization, the men's rights movement uh, individual participants are uh, sad, they're angry, they're confused, they're lonely, their lives are um, missing a lot of the connection of being in a healthy uh, family. And... <clears throat> You know, you can one can respond to um, adversity through bitterness and, and anger, or um, with a um, those feelings may be there, but they could also be um, encompassing larger feelings of uh, of curiosity and seeking wisdom. What am I supposed to be getting out of this experience, and what did I bring? to create the circumstances that I find myself in. A lot of the men's rights movement uh, individuals would also be part of a corollary father's rights who feel that they have been given short shrift in the court systems, who feel like they've been given short shrift in the whole way that the uh, law enforcement and, and the judiciary approaches domestic violence and feel like they've been unjustly accused. Well, yeah. which here's, you know, here's, I mean if you read the studies, that ain't so, you know. Right. I mean, here's, <laughs> um, but here's how uh, I, the, go ahead. the the sense that I get from the men's rights movement and the reason I bring that up is cuz I don't want anybody to be confused 
with the pro-feminist movement that we're talking about here. Uh, this men's rights movement is almost like uh, children stamping their feet. You know, you they see um, a gain for somebody else as a loss for them. Exactly. And they're quite bitter. They're quite bitter about it. So this is not the movement that we're talking about when we're talking about pro the men's pro-feminist no, movement. No, exactly. No, I mean, you know, I don't think that uh, Eve Ensler would be on the advisory board of Voicemail magazine uh, if it was part of the men's <laughs> rights movement. So, yes, there is a continuum of uh, experiences that men have had. And, and I am, you know, in my most generous moment in this characterization of them as lonely, sad, angry, confused, that's all true. And as long as they contained themselves to expressing those feelings and trying to overcome them and deal with them in a way that was uh, both ethical, legal, moral, um, in the best interests of their children, then I would say, you know, we'd like to talk with you and like to, to be helpful to you. But sadly, too often, both men's rights and father's rights uh, men cross a line and in some cases have stalked their former partners, the mothers of their children. In, in some more extreme cases, they've uh, physically harmed them, and they've sought to um, manipulate members of, their, of state and local legislatures. So there, there's a lot of confusion, and it's very interesting that a minority of men can be making so much noise because they don't represent uh, even a fraction of the men out there. And that brings us back to this question of why are the majority of men, if, if it's true that the majority of men are not violent or abusive, then if the minority of men who are, why are they clogging up the internet? Why are they clogging up the airwaves? Why are they getting all the attention? And why are the vast, vast majority of men who are good guys, or at the very least are not engaging in any behaviors that would be considered aberrant or, or criminal, why are they standing by and not intervening? And I think that those of us who feel like we have a responsibility as men to uh, talk to our our fellow, our brothers out there, um, maybe a book like Voicemail and a magazine like Voicemail uh, and a movement like the pro-feminist men's movement, maybe they can play a role in bringing more men from the sidelines as bystanders into taking more of an active role in challenging men's rights and father's rights. Yeah, I, I, I love that. And I think that's one of the really good things about this book is that it, it's, it really is an, more of an intellectual book, and I don't mean to put any kind of you know, stigma on it for people who are looking for, for enjoyable reading. It is quite enjoyable, but it's also brought from um, not just a standpoint of emotion um, and bitterness, as you mentioned. It, it comes from a standpoint of you know, the, uh, kind of a universal men's experience. And that's kind of cool, you know, for, for people like me who, you know, really didn't know that much about men. And, uh, you know, the, it, it's really kind of cool to read some of this mm-hmm. stuff and think, wow, you know, the, these these men are very sincere about this. And, uh, you know, how come I didn't meet them 20 years ago? <laughs> <laughs> right. I mean, what, what's, so. what's, 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 I have been getting... Um, feedback as the book has been you know out there now for about a month or so um that what people like is that they can dip into it you know Mm -hmm. you don't have to start at the beginning and read it straight through that first uh 50 page history of the movement might be a good grounding place but if you look at the table of contents and say oh um you know here's an essay in the a boys to men section that a mom wrote uh, called Boyhood Without Weapons about the decisions that they made in her family about what kind of toy weapons they might have 
or someone in the fathering section, you know, writing about um, what happened, you know, when he discovered, when the father, dis- uh, a man discovered that he was infertile and how he became an adoptive father or, you know, um, working for reproductive rights out in one of the uh, states in the country where uh, abortion rights were being challenged. So so you can just pick and choose what you're particularly interested in. Um, Yeah. Uh, And and there's, I mean... It's so comprehensive, you know, male survivors of abuse, uh, men and feminism, men's health, um, which was kind of, um, you know, surprising, I guess, to me. Um, Overcoming violence, out proud, uh, uh, gay, bi, trans voices, um, and uh, what is healthy masculinity? I like that section, what is healthy masculinity, because so often we talk about um, what would be ideal but we don't really relate it to what, why it would be important in our daily lives. Right. Okay. And that humanity beyond boxes. Um, could you talk a little bit about that one? Are you familiar, Do you recall that one? I suppose you recall them all, don't you? <laughs> well, <clears throat> um, I'm going to look that one up. Do you, are you looking at it? I am. It's on page 370. Okay. And I should right. mention that the book is available on Amazon, and I imagine at most of your bookstores in your neighborhood, um, you can get the book, um, Voicemail, M-A-L-E, and uh, by Rob Oaken, and I would highly recommend it. I, I really would. It's a, a good read, a very good read, very enlightening. Thank you, Heather. Um, yeah, and you can also, uh, if, if one's interested, uh, and some of the ideas that are in the book, you can also go to voicemailmagazine.org. And just remember to spell mail, M-A-L-E, and you can um, <clears throat> see the, the magazine's website. Um, and then I have a, a website, roboken.net, that has more information about the book and about my work. Um, well, well, and let me just also say that, you know, Amazon's a wonderful resource, but they do take a big chunk of the profits from a book. So um, if you can buy it from um, right, the an source, independent you know. bookstore, <laughs> Yeah, an independent bookstore um, or the publisher, Inter- Interlink Books, interlinkbooks.com, um, amazing, wide-ranging publisher of uh, progressive ideas in a variety of topics. Um, so... Yes, it's, we certainly all know that the ease of ordering things uh, from Amazon, and we all know the value of supporting an independent bookstore or supporting an independent publisher or supporting an independent yeah, exactly. small magazine. Um, yeah, Rob, we have a caller. I'm going to check in, uh, a strange phone number, but I'm going to try it anyway. Caller, are you there? No, I guess not. Okay, well, hello, are you there, caller? Hello? Hi. Okay, (laughs) yeah, Um, uh, you have the strangest phone number. Um, It probably came up um, because it's a restricted number. Oh, okay, okay, all right. So thanks for calling. What's your comment, (laughs) and what's your first name so we can... Um, What's your first name? Michelle. Michelle. Okay, Michelle. Thank and, you. What's your um, comment? I, I just really just um, called, so I saw the topic online, and I just have only heard a few minutes of it. Um, but um, my question is, I'm just really confused with um, this whole, like, the whole LGBT kind of thing. And... Mm-hmm. I'm just wondering from your standpoint, what exactly, um, how does that define them uh, them being able to be parents? I mean, do you not think that a child should have mom and dad or? Mm-hmm. Well, that's a little off our topic today, Michelle. But, oh, okay. Um, Rob, do you want to uh, respond I, yeah, to that? Yeah, uh, thank you for calling in and 
what we're talking about is, you know, kind of new ideas for how men are um, approaching how we understand our lives as men and the whole notion of masculinity. Okay. But certainly under that umbrella, um, the, you know, the notion that um, uh, same-sex parents uh, are raising children, I think more than the gender of a parent or a mother or a father is whether there's love in the house. And that, to me, is the most important thing. And you might have a, a mom and a dad where there's a lot of bickering and a lot of bitterness and a lot of discord and maybe even abuse or violence, and then you could have a same-sex uh, relationship where it's harmonious and the children are getting a lot of love and support and you know the gender of the parents in my estimation becomes less important than the level of care and nurturing that's being offered to the children I agree okay. wholeheartedly um, I think that you know having grown up in a household that was not uh, harmonious as you mentioned um, I, I think that that's the most important thing. I don't think children really care about their parents' sex lives. They really don't. Um, I think what they care about is are they getting their need, what they need. And if they're getting that, I don't think they, they care one iota. What, well, um, I, did, I didn't want to shift your show off the you know, topic. Um, like I said, uh, I had just heard a couple minutes, so I wasn't real sure. Mm-hmm. Um, sure. But... I just kind of just want to say um, to what you guys said, I think that a problem now is that we don't, as a society, know what uh, masculinity means anymore. Um, ah. and Why do you say that, about, Michelle? Why do you say that? Because, you know, nowadays you're being flooded. You know, we're an entertainment society, so nowadays we're being flooded with different images of men. Uh, we're being flooded with more effeminate men, things being much softer, um, and it's not really tapping into, you know, that male um, energy and male spirit. You know, men and women are different for diff- for a reason. There's a purpose behind it. And I feel like nowadays the men are being pushed to be more feminine. And, um, you know, I just see a problem with that. Can, can you give me an example of um, men being pushed to be more effeminate? Okay. Um, for instance, I will. I can give you a couple, but this one um, is for the black community mostly, um, or anyone, I guess, you know. But they have these um, people coming out now that are gay in basketball and football. Now, these are sports that have nothing to do with your sexuality or anything. But yet, this is being presented and being pushed out here, and these are sports that are heavily, heavily masculine, that, you know, are about men, and that's what it is. So now, to me, by pushing these people out there and promoting this, it is, in a way, making men to be more feminine or more more soft because it's saying, okay, well, hey, these guys aren't as masculine as you once thought. It's okay. You know, so, and then another thing, I just want to say this one sure. more thing. And in the uh, hip-hop um, category, there are, there's now this big trend of the men wearing skirts. And I see a problem with that. And I feel like that's being pushed again on these young people and as a fashion trend, but it is also a way to uh, feminize them because these are women's garments, no matter how much you look well, I guess at it. What I would I? like to know when you're, when you're talking about that is um, what do you mean by feminize them? Do you mean, um, I mean, what are the qualities that are, are, you think are being foisted on, on men that are feminine qualities that aren't just human qualities? Well, that's the thing, though. We know that there are um, traits associated with men and women. There is a difference. They have done study on the brain. They've done, you know, all these different kind of things. And so there is a difference there. Now, if you talk about specific traits, any human can have any certain traits. But there are more traits associated with men and more associated with women. 
so by feminizing, I mean for them their mannerisms, maybe how they walk, what they wear, um, you know, how they speak to other people. It, it's, it's a lot. It's a whole package of things. It's not just necessarily one thing. Mm-hmm. So, okay. Michelle, and you see that as a detrimental thing. You see that as a bad thing. I do. I do. Okay. Because, Rob, yes, you know, yeah, if I could just have a, a moment here, Michelle. I'm, I'm really happy that you're bringing up some of these questions. <clears throat> I think about it as this is a moment where some of the rigid boxes that uh, society has imposed both on women and men are, are being opened up a little. We have more of an opportunity to be our full selves. So to me, if... Uh, roughly 10% of the population uh, is gay uh, or, or lesbian that in any given profession there would be about 10% of the people that would be, uh, you know, gay or lesbian. So, you know, I think knowing that there are 10% of professional male athletes who are gay doesn't change anything about their level of performance. It doesn't change anything about the the ninety percent of the other male athletes who um, identify as heterosexual. Nothing's really changed except for the fact that uh, as a society we are now addressing what's real and true, and that the for my money the athletes, both the uh, the football player. Um, and the basketball player, Jason Collins, for them to come out in a sport, as you rightly say, is so identified with the ideal of, you know, this is what masculinity is all about, well, then suddenly we all have to ask ourselves, what is masculinity all about if a big strapping football player can also just say, I happen to be attracted to other men? How does that change his? How does that change his athleticism? How does it change his level of team sports? His his level of connected to the to his teammates and I I think basically we're just at a point where things have shifted. And 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 just let me say one other thing. I didn't hear any big hue and cry in the culture uh, when women began wearing. Uh, pants to go to work that, that for whatever reason um, fashion trends and comfort and ease of being able to you know to to do things it's just like things shift things are unfolding and um, I think we are better as a culture if we have opportunities to be more of who we feel we are inside and not stuck in some of those old conventional rigid boxes some of the basic traits that you describe are always going to be there between uh what constitutes maleness and femaleness and at the same time we're at a point where some other notions of what those identities look like are also coming into play it's not an either or i think it's a both and yeah i agree with rob and uh, you know as far as things like fashion it comes and goes. And if you look throughout fashion history, men used to wear skirts. Um, certain cultures wore skirts a lot. Um, you also had, you know, men men wore high heels before women did. Um, you know, so, <laughs> you know, I mean, historically, I, I don't get too upset or, or interested too much in the fashions because those come and go, and young people are always looking for ways to be shocking in their fashion. Um, so, you know, I, I'm not sure that the, the whole skirt thing is anything that would particularly in, involve me or interest me. But what you were saying uh, about the uh, characteristics of men becoming softer, I, don't, I think that that's probably not a bad thing because I think a lot of men have struggled over the years. I'm, I'm, I'm thinking of the, the kids in school that were more sensitive, the men who were more sensitive. Um, you know, they, they were bullied and they were, you know, and those are the kids that turned out to be wonderful uh, mates because they were sensitive to their partners. Um, so the, the idea of not having to be artificially hard and, and in charge 
I don't think that's a bad thing. Um, what do you think, Ron? Well, I want to give um, Michelle a chance, if you're still there, to uh, to weigh in because we both have spoken a little bit. Okay, Michelle, you, what do you think of what we're saying? I think we may have lost Michelle. Uh, okay. Okay. Yep. Um, but I'm glad she called. Thank you so much because you really um, brought up some yeah, things that I had hadn't yeah, thought of the thing. And I think there is this undercurrent of. Uh, uh, this notion that that Michelle is articulating that somehow men are becoming softer and and the examples of you know the uh, a- athletes coming out is somehow um, changing the nature of what it means to be a man. Um, I think the fact that men are asking that question, what does it mean to be a man? Uh, and that young men are being asked to look at some of the socialized norms of entitlement and privilege. And uh, I saw some shocking statistics recently about, you know, if you've taken a, a young woman out on a date and spent a lot of money with her, you know, does that mean that, you know, she should sleep with you? And if a young woman, you know, uh, kisses you and you know is 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 acting uh, sexually aggressive towards you up to a point. Does that mean that you know you have the right to consummate uh, sexual relations? And uh, sadly, the the, st- the statistics were, uh, um, despite my optimism, the, the statistics <laughs> were very were very very poor. And in the, these young men who we, uh, who responded saying yes. If I spent a lot of money on her, or if she came on to me strongly, then you know that's the green light, and the, and there is no red light. And I think wow. uh, to me, the the difference between how I see the shift and the transformation of masculinity is when we get those statistics to be uh, only a small minority, and maybe this is where um, Michelle and and I would differ um, that somehow that that male entitlement um, holding sway is, the, you know, her idea or some people's idea of what's the the norm. And the norm is shifting. That's that. That's okay, Rob. We have an, we have another caller. Let's see. Okay. Um, um, hello, caller. Are you there? Yes, I'm here. Okay. Thank you for joining us. What's your first name? Uh, Peter. Peter. Thank you for joining us, Peter. Do you have a question or a comment? Yeah, I um, I, you know, I've been listening, you know, for a little bit, and uh, and I have to say, I I, I disagree with um, um, your your co-host, I believe. I'm I guess, the guest. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 I, I have to say, I have to say, I disagree with um. The idea that all of this softening of men is a good thing for for society. I don't know. If, I don't know if either one of you are familiar with uh, MG Toe or MGTOW, as some people call it. No, I'm not. Uh, are you, Rob? Say say a little more. And MG Toe or MGTOW. That's what that's what it's called. Um, I'm and, not familiar and, with it. MGTOW is basically men going their own way. Um, okay. you know, that's the acronym for it. You can they, they, there's a website coming up. It's uh, mgtoe.com. This is just a, a catchphrase that the guys online have basically, um, you know, put up about um, you know their frustration with um, you know the feminist movement and um, you know basically men's voices not being heard. And and I think one of the things that a lot of I mean there's been a couple of authors Kate Bullock has written on this I think Mary Kay Hoymowitz or Howowitz she's written on this which is you know the man boy syndrome um, you have a lot of men who are basically the the system as it is is no longer beneficial to men um, I know women you know think differently but it's it's not beneficial to men anymore. Men, men, men see it as a, a system or a structure which which clearly benefits women, or women think that they're entitled to certain perks and privileges and things like that. And men essentially have nothing. Men are just chattel labor. 
you know, the idea is that they're supposed to go out there, build and maintain the infrastructure from a subordinate position or a position of equality, which isn't going to happen. And the men are not going to, um, they're not going to build, you know, society or the infrastructure that you see in society or modern society as it is now uh, without controlling what they build. That simply won't happen. Um, okay, wait so, a minute. Can I, can I jump in here, please? Um, you, you're mentioning a word that kind of triggers for me, and that is control, without controlling. Is that mm-hmm. what this is kind of all about, is that if men have lost some some of that control, that it's no longer beneficial for them to, to, to you know, well, play well, in the same depends. sandbox? It, it depends on what it depends on what class of men that you're talking about. The men who are at the top, you know, the oligarchy, what's going on is not affecting not affecting them. They have millions of dollars or whatever. But the men who are in the middle middle class men, it, it most certainly it most certainly affects them because they are the workforce. And 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 before you know, it's almost like imagine sending what 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 is it that makes soldiers go off the war, right? It's the patriotism. It's the it's the, you know, the soldiers were, you know, they were an honored class in America for, for a long time. You know, all, I mean, you, you know, all throughout history, they were an honored class. They were above the civilians. But now you see soldiers are not, they're not treated the same way. They're treated like, right. oh, you know, you're just a soldier, you're nobody. When you break things down so much to the point where there is no positive identity associated with that position, they're not going to want to play that position anymore. And and what women fail to understand is that society will collapse as a result. The men are just simply going to say, well, I'm not going to participate. And so your roads are not going to be built, and your infrastructure is not going to be maintained, and your grocery stores are not going to be stocked full of food, and the gasoline is not going to get to the gas station, all these things that men do in society that, that women seemingly take for granted because essentially this modern this modernization of society has created this freedom for women to think, oh well, you know, we had these we had these constraints and these constraints are the only things that basically limit us as women because it's the evil patriarchy and rape and pillage and they just want to control us when essentially that element of control it, it's not just the you know the the totalitarian dictator. It's about the fact that men were ultimately responsible for what happened and what went down. They were ultimately responsible for their wives. They were ultimately responsible okay. for their children. And so okay, I'm, I want Rob okay, to jump ahead. in here. I'll, yeah, okay, ahead. I want Rob to jump in here with his comments. Rob, you want to? Yeah, that, no, I, I'm, I'm really glad, Peter, that you've joined the conversation. And I wish that, um, you know, that we saw things uh, more closely aligned, but I think mm-hmm. that there are some, some bridges that we can build um, between us Okay. I, you know, I think it could be, I don't want to take a lot of time uh, discussing, you know, all of the ways that uh, women's lives were so um, uh, reduced to, you know, you could either stay home and take care of children or maybe you could be a nurse or maybe you could be a school teacher, and that was about it. And I don't think that anyone today would say that, you know, that's fair or that's right or that's equal that women have either stay home with children and, uh, you know, can't go to medical school or, or can't be the governor of the state or the, the leader of a country. I think that we're, we're past all of that. But I think for, for men today to actually feel that sharing some of the privilege and sharing some of the, the entitlement of of being a fully emancipated human being out in the world that some that that somehow um has just completely flipped the uh the power dynamic uh, you know is is frankly i mean it's a strong word but it's absurd i mean you know are there any are there any are there any say just in the in the area of religion and in, in the church who 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 are who are the clergy? Who are the heads of all the religions? Who who runs the show there? Men. Can I? Well, can, you know, I, well, can, I, can I just can I finish? Inject? Can I finish? Okay. You know. Okay. Uh, let Rob uh, finish e- for a minute. E- even even today, even with everything you're saying, uh, who makes uh, seventy cents to every dollar that a man makes? Women. You know. Um, are, when you turn on the television, do you see women's sports dominating? You know, uh, we've got men now who are making, trying to make the decisions for women's reproductive rights, 
forcing women, closing abortion clinics, telling women what they, when they can have birth control, if they can have birth control, men are really still uh, running the show. I mean, look at the White House. Look at the Congress. L- look at every aspect of public's, the public sphere. You know, that, that we're at a point where some women are gaining some position, that's not taking away from men. That's actually giving men an opportunity to say, oh, I wonder what it would be like to stay home uh, some of the time and raise the kids and not be one of those dads who gets, you know, who says at, at 20, when the kid's 23 or 24, gee, I, I missed it, I blew it, I don't really know my kid, I don't have a relationship. There's plenty of room for all of us to grow and plenty of room for all of us to do. But right now, to suggest that women are in the in the lead, look at anything. Go to the movies. Listen to the music. Yeah. Who are the male okay, leads Peter, in all you, the I'll movies? Give you, uh, I'll give you, Peter, I'll give you a couple minutes to respond here, and we're running out of time. Okay. So, No, um, I see that. That's what I was trying to interject. Um, sure, go for uh, it. You know, uh, I, I understand all the all the grievances that women have had over time, but the bottom line, and, and you're not going to be able to get around this, okay? Men are the ones who build and maintain the physical infrastructure. Women preserve the culture in terms of raising children and things like that, or you know, having you know, raising kids in a, in a classroom. Eighty-five percent of all teachers are female. Okay. Um, they women cannot do their job unless men do their job. And if you want to disagree with me, I direct you to your nearest ghetto where you don't have any concept of male leadership, you don't have men maintaining the physical infrastructure, and you have a whole bunch of single mothers and women on welfare. Okay, If men basically say, I'm not going to participate because it is not advantageous to me because they have no positive male identity, they have no role. They're not even acknowledged. They're just simply seen as chattel labor. This is what you do and because you have, you know, you have a phallus. And, and there's essentially no reward because that reward, oh, my God, it affects, you know, women's humanity or, or whatever. And it's like, and it's like if, men, if men, again, I'm just saying there's no way of getting around it. Men maintain the physical infrastructure as it has been built and as it is right now, and men are not going to do that from a position of equality or a position of, of or a subordinate position because it's entirely too much work. That's like me telling you to go out there and build the Titanic, and then somebody else comes on board the Titanic that you built and then thinks that they're going to have 50% say on the structure that you built with other men. Now, if, if women want to go okay, out there well, and they want Peter, to start I've working got a, in trenches. Well, Peter, I've got a time here. I've got to jump Dan, in, Peter. Okay. Um, go ahead. Okay. And, but I would l- say, I mean, I, obviously I disagree with you. Um, but okay. what I would say is that two points. One is I think you represent a very traditional view of uh, feminism and of the world. And mm-hmm. the second thing is I've certainly met men who are relieved that they no longer have to be the ones carrying the Because they never wanted the, the responsibility in the first place, and you should understand that. They're only co-signing okay. equality because they, they don't want to do it. They didn't want the responsibility. They're like, thank God, I don't have to do it. But okay. what's going to happen to the structure? That's what you have to pay okay. attention to. Okay, well, we're going to find out, aren't we, Peter? And right now, oh, Peter, I've got to hang up. Thank you so much. Go ahead. Thanks so much for your call, but I've only got 90 okay. seconds left here. So uh, I appreciate it. Listen again. We're going to be doing more shows on men and, and uh, uh, men's uh, rights, men, pro-feminism, that kind of thing. So please keep listening, and thank you very much. Yeah, I really it. appreciated your comments, it's, Peter. It's, thank you. Yeah. And uh, I'm sorry to have to cut Peter off, but we've only got a minute left, Rob. you got a real quick, uh, um, maybe a plug for the book, Amazon or the publisher. Yeah, well, people can uh, order the book either at interlinkbooks.com or tell your local bookstore to get it, uh, Voice Mail, M-A-L-E, The Untold Story of the Pro-Feminist Men's Movement, or you can order it through uh, voicemailmagazine.org. And I find that uh, having these kinds of dialogues is is really important, that there still are voices out there, and and we know that... um, you know, as far as we've come in terms of um, men finding more of their hearts and their sense of humanity and um, being nurturers, that I that agree wholeheartedly. That ultimately yeah. is going to move uh, the society yeah. forward, 
And we're I agree, still going to build, and got, build our bridges. Stuff. So what I'm going to do is I normally end our show with a quote. I have one from Kofi Annan for today. Gender equality is critical to the development and peace of every nation. Thank you so much for joining us today. Join us next week. We're going to be continuing some dialogue about men and uh, the men's movement, however you want to look at it. Thank you very much. Three Women, Three Ways. We'll see you next week. <laughs>